Thanks for inviting me today, and Maggie, it's just brilliant to come over and join you. We've heard a lot about you over the years and been in some of the leaders' gatherings and things, but never actually here, and wow, I'm an architect, and I'm just blown away by this place and the, uh, the beautiful stained glass as well. Um, but hey, yeah, so we're going to have a time of communion together, and I'm going to approach this from a particularly Trinitarian perspective which I'm sure here you'll be familiar with this, as, a, as, as I know Andy and I know the sort of perspective he comes from, so that's brilliant. But I just want to say, and I'm sure none of you have this, but you know, over the years, when we've thought about communion, uh, unfortunately through church history, at times it's become like a, a heavy thing, like a somber thing, like um, you know, a memorial feast. Uh, uh, the nonconformists and whatever, unfortunately, rather brought us into that rather sober understanding. But, you know, the early church used to call it a love feast. <laughs> a love feast. And yes, okay, they went a little bit too far. Sometimes Paul had to correct them a bit, you know, remind them that the word was agape. <laughs> but actually, this is a love feast and it's a time of joy. It's actually something, you know, Jesus. For the joy set before him endured the cross. It was, he didn't want us to sort of like be, uh, you know, oh no, oh it's all painful, horrible, you know, go into a sort of morbid state of mind. He wanted us to enter into the joy because that's, that's why he did it. <laughs> yes, he did go through all that pain and suffering for us, but he didn't want us to like just live in that place. And sadly, sometimes we, we, we go there and that's, that's how we stay. But no, he wanted us to enter into it with joy. And so anyway... Taking communion together is the, really the most amazing thing. It's the sweetest thing we can do as the church community. It, uh, so today, even though it's sunny outside and you, know, you could be on the beach and whatever, <laughs> thank, thank you for coming. You have chosen the very best. Because what we're doing is we're taking part in a meal where we participate with the Godhead. <laughs> where we participate in all that Christ has done for us, the work of Christ. And, you know, when we talk of the work of Christ, we're talking of not just the cross, we're talking of the incarnation, yes, the crucifixion, but the resurrection and also the ascension, <laughs> the whole package, because it was all for us. That this, this is the love of God poured out for us. And when he ascended, where did we go? We are seated with him in heavenly places. So while we're on this earth still here, yet spiritually we are with him in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. So amazing stuff. And so this is a simple meal. And okay, it would be nice to have it in context of actually, you know, a full meal together. But this is often how we do this these days for various practical reasons. But it has been called the gospel in a meal. The gospel in a meal. Because it's it, within it, there are such fantastic truths. And uh, within the short time I have this morning, I hope to unpack some of those to you. I, we could spend a whole weekend on this or more. <laughs> but it's, it's there's so much depth in this communion. When we say Trinitarian perspective, and forgive me if this, you're, you're familiar with all this because I know the teaching you have here, but obviously we're talking about the more wonderful overarching perspective of the fact that before all things, before there was anything, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelt together in, in perfect community. It's been called sweet community. Uh, there was just that relationship in the Godhead 
before all things, before anything. Uh, yes, one God, but in three persons. And, well, we know there's a whole lot that can be said about that. But, and they then decided in their love, their, their other giving love, to actually create us, man, uh, in, order, in their image, in order to share that love with another. And, uh, and that's, we've been told, haven't we, that that's the whole nature of love, is that you, there's someone else to love. If God was just uh, a solitary, then he wouldn't be able to love. But he, he's, a, he's a community, and he created us to share in that love. And uh, this through the years, you know, the, the, the early church had to sort of explore and plumb the depths of these wonderful truths. And uh, uh, you'll know some from your church history that, you know, this was something that was fought over and discussed and explored. And then in, at the time of the creed, which uh, the Nicene Creed, which was uh, 325 AD, uh, Athanasius and, and other great worthies of the, of the early church met in, in Alexandria and put together this, um, this uh, understanding and, and, and sort of wrote down for us uh, a creed that would explain to us the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and ourselves, uh, and you know, that even actually predates the the, um, the canon of scripture, which is quite amazing if you think about it. I mean, obviously the the scriptures were being circulated around in little pieces and letters and so forth, but but the, the creed is a really important document for us. It, it's so powerful. And I think sometimes the evangelical, you know, as as evangelicals or even as charismatics or whatever, sometimes we just give lip service to the the, tr the Trinity, you know, we, we sort of say, yes, we believe the Trinity is, is it's a doctrine. <laughs> but if we really think about what it means, what, what, if we really understand it, then actually it blows our minds. It actually takes us to a whole new place in our, our walk with the Lord. There's a, something I've shared when we were in Dunblane is there's, a, there's an icon. Who has seen this before? <laughs> You've seen this before. This is a famous icon by uh, a Russian painter called Rublev uh, in the 15th century. It's called The Three Visitors, uh, and ostensibly it's about Abraham's three visitors that we read of in Genesis. But when he painted it, he clearly had in mind the depiction of the Trinity. Uh, and this is just a wonderful icon. Uh, uh, I don't really, I'm not much into icons, but this one I found just amazing. Uh, you'll see here the way the three are seated around a table. It's such a great picture for us of this relationship. Seated around a chalice, which obviously would you know, speak to us of uh, the life poured out for us in, in Christ. Interestingly, all three figures are the same size, which is, you know, is interesting. That's... Uh, uh, an indication for us of just the way the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coexist together in, in, in unity. There's a, there's a oneness there. Um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's the way it's normally understood. Each, interestingly, in this icon have some blue in them, which uh, tends to speak of you know, spirit and, and, and purity, oneness, holy, 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 as we, were, we heard earlier. But actually... They're gathered around a table, uh, and this 
I think gives us a lovely picture of this meal. There's a space at the front here for us to join in this group. It's not a closed circle, there's a group, there's a space for us to join. This is the intention. There's a little square here, you can come and look at it later if you want to see it more closely. Some scholars have suggested that there, at one time, there was a little mirror. <laughs> so that people who came and gazed at this icon saw themselves reflected there, uh, joining with, seated with the Trinity, the Godhead in communion. So anyway, I'll get a chair and just put this at the front here so that we can, we can keep this in our minds. Hmm. Wonderful. You see, it's always been the desire of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we would share in the divine life that, that they share together with them, that their glory would be expressed through us. And doesn't make us God, of course, we're distinct from God, and yet we come from him. And his intention was that we would always share in that life, that beautiful fellowship, that, that lovely communion that existed before anything else. Always their intention. Ephesians 1, 4, you'll note, <clears throat> even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Before all things he did that. I like the way Francois de Toy puts that in the mirror. He says, he paraphrases it like this. He associated us in Christ before the fall of the world. Jesus is God's mind made up about us. He always knew in his love that he would present us again face to face before him with blameless innocence. <laughs> wow. Wow, beautiful. Peter says in his second letter, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. He has given us his great and precious promises that enable you to share in his divine nature. Whoa. <laughs> when we take this meal, we are recognizing something so profound, so deep, that we are participating with God, sharing in the divine nature by free gift. Nothing, we didn't earn it at all. It's grace. You know, we don't tick the boxes. We don't have to, you know, go through penance and all these different things. No, it's, it's given to us through the grace of God. In fact, Jesus said, didn't he, to the rich man, you know, the work of God is this, to to believe in the one he has sent. You know, it, we just, it, like when they put the snake on the pole, Jesus said, you know, he was lifted up like, like when the snake was lifted up in, in the wilderness in the days of Moses. And all they had to do is glance at it. There's something here, that all we need to do is just glance at Christ. We need to receive, rest, rest in him, in the work that he has done. We can sometimes limit the implications of this. We sort of try and put it into little boxes. And we try and limit it. But actually, 
There's no limits to God. <laughs> if we're going to share in the divine nature, wow, anything could happen. Expect the unexpected. Miracles, we've been hearing about some this morning. Wonderful things. God is like that. And he lives in you and I, and we share in his nature. Okay, I'm going to just read something from, find my glasses. This is a book by uh, Baxter Kruger. You may have heard of him, but he, he has a lovely understanding of the Trinity. This is a book called The Great Dance. <clears throat> he says, With the what the doctrine of the Trinity is telling us is that God is fundamentally a relational being. When we recite the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed and affirm that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, we are saying that there has never been a moment in all eternity when God was alone. We're saying that God has always been Father, Son, and Spirit. We're saying that there was never a time when the Father was not Father, when the Son and the Spirit were not there, and there was just God, so to speak. Just some abstract divinity. God has always existed in relationship. And he, he I won't read it all, he says, the Father, Son, and Spirit live in conversation, in a, in a fellowship of free-flowing togetherness and sharing and delight, a great dance of shared life that is full and rich and passionate, creative and good and beautiful. <laughs> this is what we share in. This is what we were always intended for since before anything happened. This was in God's heart for us to share in. Athanasius, that wonderful church father in the, in the fourth century, wrote this, that for that was the very purpose and end of our Lord's incarnation, that he should join what is man by nature to him who is by nature God. Wow, amazing. Or as one of our great theologians uh, in Scotland wrote, this is in about the 1980s, J.B. Philip, J.B., sorry, J.B. Torrance, <laughs> same initials. J.B. Torrance, he put it this way, God came to lift us up into a life of communion, of participation in the very triune life of God. This is what he intended. Feed, think about these things. They're wonderful truths. Now, we know there could be so much said about communion, as, you know, presence, the presence of God, covenants. We know that you know, there's so much in the, uh, obviously, it was the Passover meal that Jesus was having with the disciples when he, when he brought to us this. Um, but, and the, when we think of covenants, we need to think of the new covenant as a renewed covenant. It, it, it's, it's like saying that what he promised originally to Abraham, you know, that all the nations of the, of the earth would be blessed. He's renewed it, but brought us to it, us through his son, so that we might fully understand the implications of that. And at the Last Supper, when Jesus brought this, he was, he was about to willingly yield his life for humanity to do its very worst to him. You know, the, it was really, <laughs> there's nothing worse than we as mankind could do than to take the Son of God, <laughs> the pure and perfect Son of God, and nail him to a criminal's cross. <laughs> I mean, it was a very, it was a very 
nadir. It's the deepest, most worst, terrible point in human history, the thing that we did. And God chose to take that very act and flip it round and make it the very place of our redemption and rebirth, renewal in him. <laughs> it's so fantastic, isn't it? And Jesus said that, you know, he said that this is what he'd come to do. This is what it was all about. It, unless you eat my flesh and drink, drink my blood, you know, you can't be part of this. this is, you've got to enter into this fully. This is, who, uh, this is who I am for you. Come and feed on me. Jesus was dying our death, taking away fear of death, taking away fear itself as the Lamb of God. When we think about this in a Trinitarian way, we remember, as Colossians tells us, that Christ is the one who holds all things together. I mean, nothing exists nothing on this in this universe without the word of Christ, the, 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 the declaration of Jesus that these things exist. And so you imagine the impact, the power of what happens when that one, the Son of God, in his human existence, goes down into death. He takes everything with him into that place in order that he can turn it around and, by wonderful divine exchange, bring us up into life. It has ramifications for the whole, the whole cosmos. <laughs> this, is cos this is cosmic change. And this meal is about cosmic change. We are feeding on something that has affected the whole of history. It, you know, there couldn't be a more powerful thing that we share about. He is the very source of life. I mean, it's interesting in this little icon here behind this figure, which is taken to be Jesus, you can see a tree, and that's often both understood to be, represent the tree of life, but also the cross. Yeah, interestingly here, Jesus, his colors are partly brown and partly blue and partly gold. The brown, they say, is speaking of his humanity, whereas the gold and the blue of his divinity. If we think Christologically, that means, you know, we understand that all things are in Christ. Uh, as Baxter Kruger says, you know, all of us breathe Christological air. We wouldn't exist. You know, nothing, nothing would exist. None of the animals, none of the people. No one would exist unless we breathe Christological air. Uh, often people talk about being Christocentric, which is great. That's like Jesus focused on Jesus, and we all want that. But actually, that thinking Christologically is even deeper. It's actually seeing everything held together by the one who, who spoke it into being and the one who has redeemed it at the cross. Jesus said that every time you take this bread and wine, you affirm this consistent, constant covenant that we are one with him. We declare this applies. We declare this is truth. This is where this we live in the benefits of this here and now. Jesus in John 14, 20 makes this beautiful statement. In that day, it's the day of, of his resurrection. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. What a wonderful statement. It couldn't be a better statement of our union, <laughs> of our 
communion, uh, joining with him. Christ is inviting us into his life. You know, we used to talk about asking Jesus into our life when we, when we were converted, and we knew what we meant, but it's a bit of a clumsy way of saying it, because really, <laughs> nothing would exist outside of Christ, of course. But what he's doing is he's inviting us into his life, his understanding, his revelation of the Father, of knowing who we are in Christ. You could say that the whole, in a sense, the whole summation of the gospel, the, the, the telos, if you like, the, the, the fullness of it, is that we are in Christ. <laughs> in Christ. In. You could even reduce it to one word. In. <laughs> this is what has happened. In. That we might truly live in him. Irenaeus said this, the glory of God is humanity fully alive. This is what he wanted. He wanted us to live fully in him. And the Trinity waits each day to see how we're going to express that life. Where that glory is going to leak out from us. Galatians 2.20 in the mirror. Says, so I, here I am dead and alive at the same time. I'm dead to the old me I was trying to be. And alive to the real me which is Christ in me co-crucified now co-alive what a glorious entanglement <laughs> I was in him in his death now I discover that he is infused in me in my life for the first time I'm free to be me in my skin immersed in his faith in our joint sonship he loves me and believes in me he is God's gift to me. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Well, time is nearly gone. <laughs> so much more we could say. Yeah, we're going to move to have, have this. Uh, Athanasius said that God in Christ became the bearer of flesh for a time in order that man could become the bearer of spirit forever. <laughs> he wants us to participate in this forever life. And this is a feast. One reason of this, one reason that we do this is to have a reminder. It's a remi it, but it's, it's also a moment of mystical connection. <laughs> mystical men in a, in, a, in a positive Christian sense. It's a, it's a moment of mystical connection. We can never remove that from it. And, you know, and apparently at the time of the Reformation, the reformers tried to just emphasize very much that it's just, they're just symbols, they're just bread and wine. And, and in his last years of his life, Luther fought for the fact that, no, no, there's, there's a mystery here still. This is a sacrament. This isn't, this isn't just, you know, the word sacrament actually comes from a, its root is the word mystery. There's, there's, a, there's a mystery here. We are connecting with the Godhead through something that we could never drum up or make happen, but it's all of him for you and me. It's communion. The very word communion suggests it, doesn't it? Common. It's holding in common our union with him. Communion. Participation. It's sometimes called Eucharist. Uh, the Orthodox Church often refer to it. Eucharist. 
And that has in its middle that little word charis, eucharismist, eucharist. And charis, as we know, is the word grace. It's, it's thankfulness for the grace of God. We're going to enter into this mystical meal together now. St. Ignatius of Antioch said that communion is the medicine of immortality. <laughs> the medicine of immortality. It's, it, you know, there's, there's healing in the cross, we know that. Healing in physically, there's healing spiritually. We're made whole, sozoed. We're, we're made fully whole through the work of Christ. Communion is the medicine of immortality so that we should live in God through Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow. <laughs> if we had more time, uh, I won't go into it now. I think we've run out of time. I was going to read some Brother Lawrence, but maybe another time. <laughs> we'll save that for another time. But what I suggest we could do now is if you want to come and pick up one of these sheets and a, a little cup of juice <laughs> and some bread and then just maybe just either go back to your seat or just stand, stand around and we're just going to follow a very short uh, communion office. We, something we've been exploring in, in Wellsprings over the last few years is uh, simple Celtic offices. You know, the, Kel the Celtic church was loved the Trinitarian understanding uh, and loved communion. Uh, and some of these offices really just help us connect with, with that. So if, although we're going to be like doing this individually, we're doing it aware of our corporate nature. In fact, that, you know, we are together the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. This is something we're doing corporately and, it, and it's presented to us in that way in the scriptures it's, there's a plural sense in this if you want to take a look at these sheets we basically got the Lord's Prayer here which is uh, adapted from the Passion Translation uh, and then uh, St. Patrick's Breastplate which is a sort of Trinitarian prayer uh, if you want to join me in what's written in bold type Yeah, so, Abba Father, dwelling in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Manifest your kingdom reign and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is fulfilled in heaven. And give us the continual bread of abundance. Forgive our sins as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Rescue us from every ordeal and set us free from evil. For you are the king who rules with power and glory forever. Amen. From Psalm 139, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Let's just say this together then. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, on my right and my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise. Christ in the eye that sees me, 
Christ in every ear that hears me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity through belief in the threeness, through the confession of oneness of the creator of creation. Thank you, Jesus, for the breaking of your body and the spilling of your blood, for the forgiveness of sin and the redemption of our identity. Thank you that as I take this, I am reminded of your great love and that I take part in your dance, <laughs> the great love dance of the Trinity, where I am completely loved and accepted. I remember this day that you are encircling me and then I am completely hemmed in to your love and protection. So let's say this. As I take bread and wine today, I am reminded of these truths, that you gave your life for me, that I might fully partake in your great love without fear of separation or abandonment. I am fully yours and you are fully mine and I surrender myself to your so take this bread to declare that you are included in Christ and then take the cup take the wine take this wine to declare your redeemed innocence in Christ thank you Lord <laughs> we participate in your life Lord thank you Lord we are declared innocent in him. Part of this, this is a foretaste of the great feast of all, of all ages mentioned in Revelation. You know, that feast, I used to think of myself, you know, at a, at a wedding feast at some sort of side table. You know, like you go to these massive feast weddings where the, all, everyone's invited and you're like a, a friend, you know, at some side table and you see the top table and everything. But it just came to me recently, no! <laughs> We're the bride. We're on the top table. This is us. This, is, this feast is given for us. This is the heart of the Trinity. This is the heart of, the, of God. That we enter into his life. That we live fully in him at all times. And today as we've taken this, we have affirmed that again. And said yes and amen to that. So I'll just say this blessing over you. Put your hand on your heart. Walk in your redeemed identity. The love of the eternal father, the rest of the prince of peace, and the joy moment by moment of the spirit of life. Amen.